Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Shoot and the Shift podcast. We took last week off. We are moving into spring training. Uh, full squads are here. There have been baseball games being played the last two days. We're going to get to that later in the episode, but we wanted to start out today. There was another major extension that happened in the MLB. Fernando Tatis is going to be staying with the San Diego Padres. It was a 14-year deal north of $300 million. Uh, instant reactions to the deal, guys. Will, I know you were all over it. Jeff. Will, what do you – I know you because I know you. You're like a little closeted San Diego Padres fan over there. No, I mean, I, I mean, I think me and Jeff talked about this briefly when it first came out. And I remember, Antonio, you, you had said that the money I, – I think you said he was – I don't want to say you think he said he was overrated, but I think you said that he got overpaid for what, for what he was worth. No, I was. So what I was doing there is I wanted to play devil's advocate with you because you said, Oh, Trevor Bowers only had one and a half good seasons in the MLB. And he just signed a three year, $102 million deal. Fernando Tatis has had the equivalent of one full good season. He was electric in the 60 games and didn't really come on until the second half of 2019 and he's getting north of 300 million dollars over 14 years i just wanted to play devil's advocate with you will um i don't think fernando tatis is ever paid i think he deserves that money he's the face of baseball he's going to be the face of the san diego padres until he retires yeah you have to lock a guy up like that but i wanted to play devil's advocate with you to see how you'd respond see if you'd uh, kind of walk back on your trevor bauer comment no, no, because you did I'm call him good. overpaid. I did, because I think it was for the sim- for similar similar lengths of production. I think Tatis is going to be like you said that face of San Diego for years to come. So I think signing somebody like that to a fourteen year deal it makes sense. I I mean we we've seen it with stars like Mike Trout. We're going to continue to see it with these young stars that are just rising throughout the MLB. So I'm excited to see what Fernando Tatis does throughout these 14 years still with San Diego. And I hope something good comes out of it. Can we discuss the interesting news that came out about some money that's going to be going out of Tatis's bank account since we're talking about the money going into his bank account? How when What's the money Tatis- going out? When Tatis was a minor leaguer still, it was reported he signed a he signed a deal with, I think it's called Major League Advance or something. It's a company run by former Phillies pitcher Michael Schwimmer, if you guys remember him. Yeah. And what mm. they do is they make these deals with players where they'll pay them in advance like when they're minor leaguers in exchange for a percentage of future like career earnings and stuff. So this contract that Tatis has now, he's going to owe a reported around $30 million to this company. That's, that's crazy. Which I'm, I did a little digging into this situation. Yeah. Apparently Schwimmer said it was That's like a the great first... deal for that business. Jesus Christ. They said it's the first time that it's actually That's a great really deal. $30 million. Dollars. Apparently most other yeah, times. Yeah, but if you have one deals, of those guys. Hits. 
Yeah, but, but if you have that just that yeah. one time where you make thirty million dollars off of one deal, all the deals that have taken hits kind of just go away. Yeah, I'm. I a mean, that's insane. That he I mean, took that though, because it doesn't doesn't seem to make that much. So sense. am I. For most guys in, like what you would think Tatis's situation is, like if he's like young ball players coming from like Dominican Republic or something that haven't really seen that much money before they they jump at the chance to take the money but Tatis's dad was a major league player yeah like he made yes, major he league was. money you would think that um, so. that he wouldn't need to take that kind of deal so i don't know when that news came out it was a little surprising but more so when I was digging, it bothered me the fact that they're kind of preying on on like young players that don't really know what's going on. They're like, oh, money now? Absolutely. And then all of a sudden, someone who like if Tatis wasn't financial his family wasn't financially stable before accepting that agreement, like that would be a little messed up. You'd think they'd just be kind of taking yeah, I think advantage you can, of you. You definitely can. There's definitely that point there that it's kind of a predatory system. Who's uh, I, and I don't know off the top of my head if Fernando Tatis has had the same agent uh, throughout his career, but you'd think guys, everyone knew Fernando Tatis coming up. Uh, everyone knew he was going to be a major league talent. He was going to make major league money one day. You'd think an age, his agent would say, "Hey Fernando, you should bet. On, you should just bet on yourself. Don't take that money. Don't sign that deal. Like when it comes around in the end, and bet on yourself. Think you're going to sign this mega deal, and then you won't owe anyone anything. I mean, it's it's not yeah. a great look for this agency. I think it's a. I mean, it's, it's they nice payday for hit him, one big home look, run, though. and it's going to kind of expose them." Yeah, I think it exposes them for kind of that predatory system. But you also have to look at Fernando Tatis's agent, who's supposed to be looking out for the best interest of his player at all time or their player of all time and at all times. And they didn't do their, their job. And they let Fernando Tatis sign this deal, knowing that eventually he was going to make major league money. And even if it was a $50 million contract, he was going to have to pay 10% of that. And he, he now makes north of $300 million and he's got to pay over $30 million to this group. What was the final number on the contract? It was in the 340s, right? I saw, I saw between the... the his, between his agent fees... 14-year, $340 million was the finalized contract. That's, like, that's a huge headline number. and With agent the, fees and all that... But agent yeah, fees, but agent which fees is around five percent a year, um, and then the fee for what he owes Major League Advance, and then the California state taxes, which is one of the higher states. I saw he's his whole career he's going to mm. bring in around one seventy, I think it was tops, which it's crazy how fast that number got. Got cut half down of his three four half of his deal, half of his yep. deal is going to go to this major league advance and agent his agent? fees and and his taxes. 
it's insane how like we we get down, we get on these players for these big doing? numbers. And what am I doing with going to account? What am I doing it as an accounting major? What the hell am I doing here? Well, that's I'm like just you gonna saw... become a sports agent. Jesus, you saw. Uh... Scott Boris is insane with he makes so much money now. Now that I see that, what was it? It was um, I think Jesus. winter meetings two years back. So like the last actual winter meetings, um, when like Scherzer or not Scherzer, uh, Strasburg and Garrett Cole signed. It was like within mm-hmm. one week, Scott Boris had negotiated one billion dollars worth of contracts. Then you figure he gets at. I, so I mean, his fees the probably a little paid higher. ML... You ready? So the highest paid MLB agent in 2017 was Scott Boris, as we'd all expect. He earned 108.3 million dollars in commissions from 1.9 billion dollars worth of player contracts. That is insanity. Boris is the best in the business. But for a reason. I mean, ultimately, Tatis is going to make up a lot I of that And I didn't know with... that about Tatis's contract. Yeah, he'll make up a lot of endorsements it, though, from, and all that. But I didn't know that about his. He's very marketable. Like I said early, the face of baseball, that's really... That's him. Um, I just I didn't know about the the major league advance and all that. That's insane. That he's gonna. That's just crazy. But on to some uh, news on the home front. JT Real Muto signs the contract we all wanted, and then announces he has a broken thumb. Can we talk about just? And what how- are we doing here? I was getting so excited all offseason and hyping up Jose Alvarado and how fast he throws and how his pitches move. And wouldn't you know, his apparently it's an Alvarado. Yeah, it's an Alvarado bullpen that catches JT the wrong way, fractures his thumb. I mean, it's just we can't have anything nice. Now, like, we're, we are super excited to have JT back. He's in the system, and then, boom, we don't know if he'll be ready for opening day. What the hell? It's sounding like he will be, and the good news I, is yeah. it's his, his right hand. I don't think he needs to work that much on his, his throwing. I mean, he can pretty much come in day one and yeah, no, he's, be he's ready to good at, throw out he, half the hitters. He's really good at throwing a baseball. Well, I don't yeah. know if you and guys... he gets to still catch bullpens, which I think no. is the most important thing. Getting used to the pitchers. That's to me, once I once I heard he was still catching bullpens for guys, yep. Yep. I was immediately like not concerned anymore. Right. JT's got the work ethic, he'll be fine. Um, I wish he was getting to actually like take swings at the plate, but Rumor is he's also standing in for batting practice. He's maybe not swinging, but he's at least seeing pitches. So that's good. Uh, JT's he's a pro's pro. He's not going to need that much ramp up time. And it's at least it's 
taking some time off his knees. That's the most important thing for yeah, for an older catcher. Yeah, I mean, I think even if JT was 100% healthy, I'm not sure we see him until much later in spring training getting game reps. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm preparing to see JT miss maybe one series at most at the beginning of the season because I know what he said in his press conference, he doesn't want to come back until he knows his thumb is fully healthy because he doesn't want anything happening where it's going to cause him to miss extended time during the season, which I really appreciate as a fan. I want him there as playing as often as possible. But I mean, I do think there's, he will be ready. He could be ready for opening day. Um, I could, but I could also see him just as well missing the opening series of the season just to make sure everything's a hundred percent in there. Yeah. But not much more than that. Right, I, I personally think he will be in the lineup opening day. That's the hope. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my gut feeling. So the last little bit of free agent news with the Phillies, there's kind of been some speculation this, these past couple weeks. Um, we're really kind of focusing in down the two final targets and we're thinking here on the podcast that it could be uh, Cole Hamels or Jake Odorizzi. I think both would be great additions for the Phillies rotation and just the pitching staff in general. Um, I personally, I would obviously, I love to see Cole Hamels back. Two thousand for his from two thousand eight on, Cole Hamels was our guy. Uh, but I think Jake Odorizzi might be the better fit. He probably has a little more left in the tank than Cole Hamels. But I don't think you can go wrong with bringing either guy in for this pitching staff and the whole, just like the whole pitching core of this team. I think adding Cole Hamels could be the last little addition for the clubhouse. Like his, I think he would contribute more to the clubhouse as a like, I mean, if you're in Philly, yeah, if you're in Philly and Cole Hamels is walking through that clubhouse every day and you're like one of the pitchers talking to him, like Nola or even Wheeler, Howard. It's like there's a guy who who has won and who has done it here. Mm-hmm. Like he Who's won it? in this ballpark. The so who the fans still like kiss the feet of. Like if I saw Cole Hamels walking down the street in Philadelphia, I'd probably there's probably there's very few Phillies I'd be more excited to meet than Cole Hamels. And it's probably contained to Bryce Harper at this point and Chase Utley. Yeah, I think um, that Cole Hamels, I I see his contributions being at least equal to that of a Chase Anderson, right? It's got to be. Right. He wasn't terrible last year with with – He didn't pitch that much last year, but the year before – he was solid. He's been solid yeah. the last few years. So, I mean, at this point, I think it's it's probably such a low risk. And you you know, as is, it's going to be a high reward based off the leadership he's going to bring. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it would be great to have Cole Hamels back for one final season. The swan song. He gets to end his career in Philadelphia where he had the greatest moments of his career, the, the best stretch. I think it's one of the more dominant stretches we've ever seen from a pitcher. Um, it's up there with what Clayton Kershaw's done. Uh, Cole Hamels was just – he was the guy. Every five days you knew he was going to come out and put on something spectacular. I'd love to see him back. And like you were saying, Jeff, 
the guys like Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Spencer Howard, his kind of advice and leadership and work ethic is invaluable for those guys. I think he would change the mindset of that rotation. Just seeing him every day, I think it would really, I think it would really do wonders for the whole team. Even guys like, like Harper. Yeah. It might fire him up even more. Because Cole Hamels knows what that ballpark is like when you're the best team in the world. Yeah, that's that was so. I, I mean, think he the, could fire up some guys, but Oda Rizzi wouldn't be wouldn't be bad. He he's probably um, higher reward for uh, for space solely on skill though. When we're talking higher reward, yes, yes, like his he would most likely on the mound present you with more quality innings than than Cole Hamels at this point in his career could and in the future could. So I, I think it's a it's a win-win if you add either one. I think the only really bad decision would not be adding either of them because I'm intrigued by Matt Moore, not Shea Sanderson doesn't just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, no. Um, it just you're. I, I'm. I agree with you, Jeff. I think it's at the point now, and it's it's going to be a cheap contract for either guy, so it makes sense to bring them in. It's not going to be one of those moves that busts the bank and could destroy a rotation. It's both these guys are low risk, high reward. Um, I, I just think it's smart, especially because some of the the pitchers we've brought in and we've seen over the first two days of spring training do not look like they're going to work out. It's a great segue into talking about the Phillies first two uh, preseason games and the one guy who we brought in as a non-roster invite. And he just looked terrible. Ivan Nova will just just like hand in your uniform now. He pitched one third of an inning, three hits, five earned runs, two walks, and a sh- his only out was on a strikeout. There were six runs scored in the first inning of the the, Dot, or the Detroit Tigers-Phillies game yesterday, and he looked awful. I think it's, it's – you can't judge a guy off their f- no. first outing, but I, it was always going to be a considerable uphill battle for Nova to make this team. Right. His best chance was somebody makes a typo when printing the roster and instead of typing an no L types of V. <laughs> I mean, it just, he didn't look. And like you said, it's, it's harsh of me to judge him on his first start, but man, did he look bad. Just terrible. Tor- it's <laughs> terrible. Jack Shaq. It's terrible. I mean, well, when you look at the statistics and you see a 129 ERA, you start to question a little bit. Uh, he'd fit in perfectly in a bullpen hey but I, hey that's history we're leaving bullpen right there we're leaving the bullpen jokes last Out year of, <laughs> um it's and a then new season look, <laughs> yeah and then the one i think a couple of bright spots on the offense adam hazley second pitch he's seen in the sprint in spring training uh takes it up boppo i like where his hands are coming through the zone this year I think last year he was down lower trying to lift the ball more. Um, Joe Dillon is 
is a very good hitting coach, in my opinion. Um, Juan Soto was always a good hitter. I'm not going to say Joe Dillon is the Juan Soto is solely a product of Joe Dillon, but I think Joe Dillon has helped Juan Soto get to the MVP level that he's at. And I think you're starting to see it more, him getting more influence with the Phillies and uh, Adam Hazley. And then my one of the best moments I think of the game yesterday is Mickey Moniak. When he came up last year, he did not barrel up a single ball. First at bat hits a 103 mile an hour piss missile to get a double. I mean, it's just, it's the little things like that that are starting to get me excited. Um, I watched a video of Alec Boom taking uh, batting practice, and la- he's the opposite of Adam Hayes. Adam Hazley last year, he was up in the zone more. His hands were higher. He was hitting for contact a lot more. I watched him. His hands were lower. He was still hitting for that same contact, getting all over the field, but he's lifting the ball a lot more, which comes elevated, uh, higher launch angle, more power. Adam or Alec Boehm might hit some home runs this year. Yeah, someone actually gave a pretty good uh, prediction on Alec Boehm's home run totals. I don't know if anybody caught the uh, 30 clubs in 30 days by MLB Network on uh, this past week. And they were interviewing some players. Archie Bradley made a nice prediction of saying, Oh, I love Archie Bradley. 30 plus bombs. From Alec Boehm. Oh, oh, Archie Bradley's doing such a good job of making Phillies fans love him. Yeah, the best job I've seen since Bryce. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really excited about them. And then I we watched the there was a game today against the Baltimore Orioles. Phillies tied. And we all know what they say about ties. It's kind of like kissing your sister. Uh, but Aaron Nola came in, pitched two innings. Uh Besides that home run he let up in the first inning, looked pretty good, had control of his fastball. The curveball looked decent. Um, Again, it's his first start, so we can expect him to kind of get back to uh, the NOLA that we all know and love. One guy that I wasn't particularly fond of was Ramon Rosso. Later in the game, he came in, and I feel like when he was pitching, that inning was so goddamn long. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really want to look into too many negatives, but if we could circle back to Nola, though, you the, what you touched on with his fastball. In the past, where we've seen Nola start slow sometimes, it has consistently been an issue with fastball command. Mm-hmm. And then everyone just lays off the curveball because it's, gonna wait for the it's not being set up by the fastball. And... Seeing Nola be able to pound the zone today with the fastball, I think there was really – he made three not-so-great pitches, a hung curveball, that was the home run, a fastball that was a little more center cut. The That's how the uh, the runner got on to set up the two-run homer. And I think he – there was just one pitch he, he spiked – uh, down yeah. in a way before right yeah. before he, Austin Hayes hit the home run. Um, so that's early on, he got it all out, and it was from there. Other than those three, the command looked really strong, which is when Nola has his command going, that's when you see him be that, that Cy Young finalist we saw a few years back. Yeah, I would love for him to get back to that. Now, looking at some of the uh, hitting. I mean, Andrew Knapp had a two-two RBI day, but uh, his <laughs> his RBI, his double, it was classic 
spring training baseball. The left fielder <laughs> lost it in the Florida sun and it bounced over the wall for a ground rule double. I mean, that was just, that's comical second game of the spring of spring training. And you're just rusty. Um, Jeff, I know Matt you tweeted some balls far though. He did hit some balls far, and I, I like that. That's encouraging that's, to see. That's what Andrew Knapp needs to be. Jeff, I know you tweeted about Roman Quinn. I like where he's at, kind of line drives, getting the ball on the ground. He's a guy that needs to keep it low. Absolutely. there. He should be made to do laps every time he hits a ball in the air. If it goes above his head, he's got to run laps. That should be Unless the thing. it's he's, going over the wall. Or like into the gap, but that's, he's a guy that any, any ground ball, that's a tough play for an infielder, like where they have to move and like really get to the ball. I'm going to put my money on Roman Quinn being able to beat it out. He just has got to keep it low. He's one of those guys where you do more damage with balls on the ground than hitting fly balls. Exactly. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bank on the, if it goes in the air, it might be a home run because realistically it's not going to happen that much with Roman Quinn. I, but if he's putting the ball on the ground, just putting it in play, he's got a decent chance to get on base because the speed is that much of a threat and the speed can change ball games. I still like him coming off the bench in extra innings. So do I. I still think that steals a game or two. Right. You have, cause you have to be so worried about, Roman Quinn on base, it it opens up uh, chances at the plate where if the pitcher's constantly having to think about the guy behind him, he can't be solely focused on the hitter. And that may lead to a, a wayward pitcher too where Roman Quinn can advance or a ball's and in even, play and, and Roman's speed comes into effect. Yeah, and it's even just you don't need to hit the ball as hard to, for Roman Quinn to score from second. No. Because I believe that rule is back, the, the runner starting on second. It is. Even, I don't it is. necessarily like the rule. And by by that, I mean I really I wish they would never do that again. Yeah, if, I, if they were keeping one rule from last year, I wanted it to be the universal DH. Yeah. Over, over the runner starting on second in extra yes, innings? Yes, yes. I have my own thoughts that maybe uh, maybe we'll do a special episode on on my thoughts on the DH, what I prefer, but that's just a teaser for now. It's we're not going to dig into that, but the second, the runner on second base, it does play into the Phillies favor. If you can bring Roman Quinn off the bench and just plug him right in at second, he didn't even need to do anything to get on. And it doesn't base. always have to be Roman Quinn. Cause the got the Phillies do have other guys with speed. If Roman's in the field and Kingery's on the bench one day, obviously Kingery's no Roman Quinn, but he's still got a, a good amount of pep in his step. So little things like that. And then the other, um, Matt Joyce hit a two-run bomb today. He caught a ball pimped really it. well. Matt, Matt Joyce did. more than just hit that home he run. Pimped the, he pimped the hell out of that thing. But it, it, oh, it was good to see him make, and make solid contact with the ball. That the pitcher, I think the pitcher knew when it left his hand, he made a mistake, and it was good to see Matt Joyce just punish it. <laughs> if he yeah. could do that, he could take over the Jay, the Bruce, spot? Jay Bruce role. Yeah, I love yeah, the that. lefty power off the bench. I mean, you hang it, we bang it. Amen. That's always that <laughs> that's always Jay has Bruce's to happen. rule. 
Yes. And I mean, got to punish hangers. I I liked what I saw out of him today. Uh, So that's kind of it for spring training. We'll as spring training gets more involved and there's more games and some of the bigger name players are starting to play. We'll give a little bit more, but this was, it's just good to see baseball back. I'm, I'm very happy. One bigger name we didn't discuss. Sorry to cut you off there, but Gene Segura. He did play today. He did play today. And he rocketed a couple balls. Yeah. He was hitting the ball very hard. And he ran out a, a bunch of uh, the one ground ball. He beat out a double play, which is that's not Gene. That's not the Gene Segura we know. But if it's the new Gene, I'm all for it. So I think that's about all we have for this podcast. No, I got one about. more bone to pick with the MLB Network. How the hell do you set the Phillies over under at 81 and a half? Don't complain. Just. Just, just hammer the, the over. over, hammer the Cash over. But the, the over. Mets, the Mets, and the the Mets are closer to ninety, and the I think the Mets were ninety and a half, and the Nationals were eighty six and a half, and the Phillies are eighty one and a half. Do they really think there's that much of a gap in the in those three teams? I disagree. Um, I mean, it's just, I think they're silly. I think you got hammer the Phillies over, hammer the over. Let's all cash. Yeah, life's too short to bet the under. Amen. That's that's the rule. All right. That was another week, another episode of the Shoot and the Shift podcast. Baseball is finally back. We are very excited to get to the regular season. Opening day is a month from recording this episode. It's March 1st. Opening day is on April Fool's Day. I think we'll be getting the boys. We'll be getting the boys together for a live watch of the game and some instant reactions. I don't hear any news from the crowd, so we're going to plan that to happen. We will see you next week for another episode. Hopefully, we have some big news happen. We'll talk more spring training. We'll talk some Phillies baseball. Until then, listen to the podcast and think about becoming an MLB agent because you make lots of money, apparently. Tuttles.